You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number seven. Go four. Be ruthless about protecting your writing days, i.e. do not cave into the endless request to have, in quotes, essential and long overdue meetings on those days, end quote. J.K. Rowling. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Enjoy today's episode with guest host, Jason Buff. Now, I want you to imagine, I want us all to close our eyes and imagine something. You're sitting in your apartment one day, you and your wife, and you have always wanted to make a horror film, but you don't really know what the next step is. So you see these horror competitions and you say, you know what, let's enter into one of these horror competitions and see how it goes. Using just the resources, you know, you don't have a lot of money. So just using the camera that you have and the equipment that you have, you're going to create a horror short and submit it to one of these competitions just to see what happens. And not only do you win the competition, but your video becomes a huge viral sensation. Suddenly your, you know, Vimeo videos and YouTube videos are being downloaded by thousands and thousands of people. And not too long after that, you start getting phone calls from people in Los Angeles that, you know, want to have meetings with you. Now, fast forward a little bit to, you know, being invited, you, you're invited to Los Angeles by New Line. And before long, you're sitting in a meeting with James Wan talking about making a feature film version of your short. This is more or less what happened to David F. Sandberg in 2013 when his short Lights Out became a huge viral sensation. And on June 22nd, the feature film version of Lights Out starring Maria Bello and produced by James Wan will be coming to a theater near you. All right, now on with the show. came here, my wife Lotta and I, uh, a little over a year ago now. Uh, but it all happened really fast because it was like, you know, we got the call that, yeah, lights out. The movie is is getting made. So can you get on a plane next week? You know, <laughs> uh, So we flew over and, um, yeah, we, we went back home just over Christmas now. But that's that's it. Uh, uh-huh. No, it's it's been weird. Like it all happened so fast. When we first got here, we just were the first 
uh, like nine months or so or whatever. We, we stayed in B Airbnbs around town. And it's just oh, really? now this year that we've gotten a, a proper apartment to stay in. Uh-huh. So it was really like, I mean, well, let me ask you, first of all, how is how is living in L.A.? Because I've, I've lived there and it was a very difficult. I mean, I and I'm from the U.S., yeah. you know, so it was kind of a, a a culture shock for me. Are you guys like settling in and feeling more at home? Are you are you there permanently or are you going to go back to Sweden? Uh, I mean, right now it's pretty permanent because we rented out our apartment back in Sweden. And um, I mean, as long as things keep going well here, we'll stick around, you know. Right. Uh, but but yeah, it, it's a lot different from Sweden. Uh, but both good and bad, you know. It, the the weather's always great, and there's a lot of cool stuff here. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, we we love it so far. We we haven't seen a lot of the other parts of U.S. We've only been to California, and we went to Las Vegas for a day for for uh, CinemaCon. Right. So this is all we know. Like we want to see more of, of the states. Yeah, you got to go. Well, I'm from North Carolina, so you should definitely head that way and kind of see something. I mean, L.A. is very – it's cool, but it's very different from the rest of the U.S. Yeah, that's – I can imagine. It's, it's, a, it's a unique place, it feels like. Do the people that rented your old apartment know that that was where the uh, short was filmed? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, one of our friends who, who's actually in – we made a short called Pictured, and she's the creepy oh, okay. lady in the picture – so, uh, yeah, she knows and she thinks it's cool. Like she has people over and it's like, hey, this is the lights out apartment. And people are like, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. Well, what I want to do is um, I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk about and I want to be very conscious, um, conscious of your time. Well, so, um, I mean, it's, it's Saturday today, so there's no work today. So that's that's fine. <laughs> OK, so what what is uh, what are you guys doing right now? I mean, I assume the. You know, pictures locked and what what's kind of going on right now in your like what's your week full of right now? Uh right now it's uh pre production on Annabelle two. Uh, mm-hmm. so um yeah, we're shooting in six weeks. Uh okay. so it's getting close. A lot to <laughs> lot to prepare. Is there anything you can I mean, not story wise, but I mean what uh when you say you're preparing to shoot, what does that kind of mean? Are you working on is the screenplay ready? Are you working on um There's still tweaks being done on the screenplay, but also, you know, we're casting people, we're uh uh scouting some of the locations we still haven't uh figured out yet. And uh this this one we has a bigger budget than Lights Out, so we're shooting it on a stage on the Warner Brothers lot, which is awesome. Uh, so where the houses be, the sets are being built, you know, and there's, you know, some budget issues like, hey, maybe we can, you know, we're a little bit over. Maybe we can cut out this room of the house and a lot of stuff like that back and forth. Has the way you think about it changed now that you I mean, I would assume that walking into lights out the feature, you probably still had a lot of those ideas in your head about, oh, there's ways to save money and cut corners and do this. And you start working with a studio and it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, there actually is some money to, to spend on this. Well, I, I mean, I had no idea. I mean, I've, I'm so lucky to have skipped all of these steps. You know, like I went from making no budget shorts, which is Lotta and me back in Sweden, right into making Hollywood studio features. Like I've never made an independent movie or anything like I've, I've never been on a, on a real film set until <laughs> lights out, right? which was 
scary as hell. And there was so much like, you know, I put so much pressure on myself as well. Just like, this is my shot, you know, better not screw it up because, you know, then I'll go back to Sweden and never do a movie again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was intense. And it was yeah. just so much to learn. Like, you know, I, I, I know how to sort of make a little movie, like how to tell a story, but everything around it was just new. The whole the studio thing and just working with so many people, you know, I'm used to shooting myself and editing myself and doing all of that stuff. And now I had to work with other people for the first time and just, you know, working with a writer and yeah, there, I had like, I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night being all stressed out. And like, I, I have these things where I wake up and I'm half asleep and I, hallucinate mm -hmm. and I, I'd see like the whole crew standing around my bed just waiting and I'd be like wait what are we doing what wait so hopefully now on Annabelle I know a little bit more what to expect and maybe we'll have a little less nightmares right so your confidence is is better going through this I, I did you look at the finished film and just kind of sit back and be like holy crap <laughs> I did this yeah no, I mean, but that happened the whole time. Like, just during editing, you know, we were cutting this scene with between Maria Bello and uh, Teresa Palmer. You know, they have they have this argument, and it's like, shit, I, I actually directed this. Like, <laughs> a real movie with real actors. And yeah, yeah that was, there's been a lot of those moments, especially because of the beginnings of the whole thing. Like, I'd see people, uh, you know, painting the sets and stuff like that. And, I'd have this feeling of these people are, are working on this just because Lotta and I made this little short, you know, just mm -hmm. an evening back in Sweden, which is insane. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Did you ever run into, because I remember reading stories about when, for example, James Cameron was making Aliens. And nobody really knew who he was. So they were kind of like, oh, this guy didn't know what that, you know, and he was making yeah. one of the best horror movies of all time. But the people on the set were just kind of like, who's this guy? He doesn't. And he was, you know, he was, uh, I think it yeah. was on a British set too. So everybody was like, who's this, you know, American? I, know. I, 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 I saw that uh, documentary as well, which is, I, I love that. I, it's one of my favorite movies as well. But yeah, I, I, there were definitely elements of that, of, you know, it's, it's some, there was this feeling of some people on the crew, like, you know, they're doing me a favor because I'm this nobody from, from Sweden and the, the, they've worked on all these big movies and it, it led to some friction in some places where mm -hmm. like some arguments with the camera department and where they, you know, tried to tell me like, no, you don't need to do that. And it was like, no, we need to do that. Like, I know what I'm doing. So, yeah. It, it led to arguments right? about stupid stuff as well, like how how cameras work. And like, because they were telling me that there was this one shot that they were telling me, you can just, you can shoot at high speed and then decide in post if you want it to be slow motion or uh, regular speed. And I was telling them, but, but no, because the shutter speed will then look... You know, yeah. the shutter angle will look, it, it will look like, you know, the opening of uh, Saving Private Ryan if you yeah. slow it, won't it down. Be what, 48? Yeah. Right. So, so they were telling me that, no, the shutter speed is always the same. And I, it became this whole argument. And I was like, 
but then why do you need more light when you shoot high speed? <laughs> Nothing changes. And it was like, uh, they're like, damn, this guy knows what he's talking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just stupid arguments like that, but uh, I mean, it, it got better, you know, further into production. Everything did, but when we sort of got to know each other and what we knew and didn't know, yeah. Yeah. What were you shooting on, uh, Aerie? Yeah, the uh, Alexa XT. Uh-huh. Right, right. Uh-huh. Was there ever, I mean, if I was you and I was kind of like, I mean, because you're a do it yourself kind of guy. Yeah, I would just be like looking over everybody's shoulder and be like, okay, what are you guys doing? You know, and just like in between directing, just kind of like yeah, learn no, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, this was my film school in, in a way. Like I didn't go to film school and now I was, I was getting paid for it. So it was a lot of that. Okay, so you're lighting it like that. You're putting it there. Okay, cool. It was like, you know, finding out stuff. Is there anything that kind of maybe you can share that jumps out at you at like in, in terms of just – purely like cinematography were there any things that you just kind of were surprised by that you you know having done things yourself you're like oh i didn't realize this is actually how they do it on a film set um not to put you on the spot or anything. no but uh i don't know i mean i i think i i mean i read a lot like i read like the american cinematographer and all of those things so i try to keep up as much as possible so nothing really surprised me that much Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was just being there and seeing it in real life, you know, on a full set that was, was interesting, but I mean, you know, the, the lighting, it feels like it's the same thing when you're doing it yourself with what little you have, it's just on a bigger scale and you have more fun toys really. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a moment when you were like, is there like an Ikea around that I can like, go? <laughs> yeah. Because there is, I think there's an, I, when I was there, I mean, I was there back in like 99. So it's been a while, but there was a brand new Ikea and it was like a huge deal. I mean, this is off the point, but I just happen to remember that because I think it's kind of a funny idea of you being like, you know, if you just get a trash can. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We do have money here, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but that, yeah, Ikea is awesome. I, you know, I've built my own, my trash cans here as well and bought some lights. <laughs> but I found out that the, their light bulbs here don't dim. They do in Sweden for some reason. The fluorescent? Uh, the LED bulbs for some reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, some of them do. And I mean, you have to kind of look for them, but the U.S. is really, and I, I haven't lived in the U.S. since, uh, in, since 2002. I actually live in Mexico now. Um, oh. I do every, I do everything from Mexico, but, you know, I'm amazed when I go back because here everything is so energy efficient and everybody has LED bulbs or fluorescents. And then I go back to the U.S. and it's it's always amazing to me that that still hasn't kind of caught on. You know, yeah. I mean, people have them, but they're not as, you know, I don't know how it is in Sweden. No, Sweden is, I think they've uh, like banned regular light bulbs. Right. So you can't even buy them anymore. I mean, you can probably, there's still some old stock probably, but it's mostly LEDs and compact fluorescence you guys are so you know so far ahead <laughs> with everything well, I, yeah. think. I i actually lived in uh finland for a while um, yeah but not for a while but for uh for half of a year i went to school in yoinsu yeah. so we were we were up in that area for a long time and we passed through sweden i got lost in sweden for a while and yeah but uh it's That's just it's, it's one of my favorite countries in the whole world it's great in the summer but in the winter, it's just gray and dark for so long. There's like not enough sunlight. And, yeah. 
maybe I'll miss it eventually, but now it's just, it's here, it's sunny all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get, actually, I got kind of tired of it being sunny all the, you know, I miss <laughs> the, the snows, the coziness of having like your coffee and being inside and, yeah, you know. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Around Christmas time, I think you start kind of like, like when you have your first warm Christmas is always really bizarre. Yeah. I mean, we went home for Christmas, but that was the thing as well. Like we were thinking that maybe when we're back in Sweden, we'll feel that, no, this is our home. We don't want to go back to LA. But when we got home, it was gray and dark and we both got winter, uh, winter vomit disease, Lothar and I. So we were like just throwing up. Yeah. We couldn't wait to get back. (laughs) Okay. Well, what I want to do is kind of go back and, um, talk a little bit about your, uh, biography, I guess, you know, and, and how you got into this. And, um, I was wondering if you could start a little bit by just talking about where you were at, what, what you, what led up to, uh, making the original shorts. And as far as I understand, was Lights Out the first short you made or was it like after making a few more? Because it's listed in IMDb as like the third or fourth one you made. Um, I mean, it was the second one I made with, uh, that Lotta and I made together. Okay. Uh, so, so what happened was, you know, I've been making little shorts and stuff ever since I was a kid, you know, and barred my dad's video camera. But then as I got, you know, older, uh, it got more sort of difficult to, you know, get your friends together and make movies. So I, I, I actually <laughs> yeah. started uh, playing around with animation mm-hmm. because that was something you could do all by yourself. Uh, and what happened was when YouTube was new, this was in 2005. I made uh, an animated short that became like a viral hit in Scandinavia. And um, that led to me getting a lot of job offers to do like commercials and videos for different companies with my sort of brand of animated humor. Mm -hmm. So I did that for uh, a few years. um, But eventually I felt that, you know, what I really wanted to do was live action genre stuff. So, um, you know, Lotta and I, we made this movie called Cam Closer, uh, which we really enjoyed doing. It's just a two and a half minute short. Uh, and, and we tried getting, like in, in Sweden, you have the Swedish Film Institute that gives grants to movies, shorts and features, and that's pretty much how you finance films. But they uh, they weren't very interested in financing genre stuff. Like we, we tried several times to get just some a little bit of money to make horror shorts, and they said no every time. So we figured, you know, well, screw it. You know, I have a camera and we can do stuff ourselves just in our apartment. So, uh, yeah, Lights Out was the, the second one we did. And, uh, yeah, it became this whole crazy thing. Now, just to get into the nuts and bolts, because I, w- I was curious about this. You ha- you were working with the uh, Blackmagic cinema camera. Yeah, right? yeah. What, uh, what was... Just from a purely nerd point of view, what was your decision to get that camera versus some of the other ones that were out there? Well, I mean, I, I started when, you know, when I was younger, I, I got a, like a consumer DV camera and started shooting mm-hmm. shorts with my, my friends. And then I actually got a grant, uh, like a cultural stipend or whatever it's called, so I could buy an HD camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've never had a lot of money to buy cameras, but then I, I saw about this Black Magic camera that was coming out that was shooting raw, 
which was very interesting to me because I, you know, when you're shooting like H.264 stuff, you can't shoot the, the compression when you shoot dark stuff, it, it just breaks apart in the shadows. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I, I really wanted that camera. So we, I have a producing friend in Sweden who uh, we got some money to do a short called Wallace, which is sort of like an, uh, you could say that it's sort of like an anti-bullying film or something. Mm-hmm. That, that That's the kind of stuff you can get from money from, for this, uh, from the Swedish Film Institute. You know, we, we got money to do a documentary about a Thai lady boy and like more sort of important uh, subjects, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, because we got some money to do Wallace, I could buy the, the Blackmagic Cinema camera finally. So that, that's what we used to do, uh, shoot um, Lights Out. But the, 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 uh, the, the short we shot before that, Cam Closer, I shot on the Panasonic GH1. So I had to have a lot of sort of lights in that just to not have it break apart in the shadows. Mm-hmm. I've always heard that the black magic wasn't that great with shooting in low light, though. Is that right? Well, not low light, but shadows. Like so. Okay. In uh, in in lights out, you know, when she that uh, bedside table lamp, mm-hmm. you know, there's actually like a 375 watt bulb, in that, <laughs> like a, a photo bulb. Uh-huh. So what I did, like, so there's a lot of light, but it's not evenly lit, you know, so I could, um, and that, that works out great. So if you're not shooting in, if if you're not trying to bring the shadows up, but just bringing everything down instead, it, it works great. So you, you still need light, but you don't have to evenly light your scene. Mm-hmm. So that was the same one you had with um, Closer, right? When you did the trash can thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just uh, put that really close to Lotta's face so that everything else would be black and you would just turn down the yeah. um, the aperture or the... Yeah so, yeah, so that one I've used for all of our shorts except for the very latest one called uh, Closet Space because that one I used a pocket camera for. So what happened was that when we uh, moved over here, I didn't bring my cinema camera um Mm -hmm. and i was kind of missing my camera almost you know when i was over here so when i got started getting paid for for lights out i bought the the pocket camera and we actually used that on uh for some stuff for lights out the the feature Uh, and that's you know now now since i've been back to sweden i've actually brought my the cinema camera with me as well so now i have both the cinema camera and the pocket camera Mm -hmm. but they're they're great cameras yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting on your video talking about um, the trailer. And by the way, I, I really – I can't tell you how much it means to indie filmmakers to get to see the behind-the-scenes stuff because it's – you know, you're in a very unique position to be yeah. able to, to let us in on a lot of that stuff because we're all kind of watching. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that we don't know, you know, and uh, you know, all those videos. Like, I mean, there's just little tips that are, are – are kind of like, Oh wow. I didn't know it was that easy to do that or whatever, you know? Um, but did you have any, uh, any resistance to shooting with the, the pocket cam for those, the, you shift the, like the old eight millimeter super eight stuff with that, right? 
the only resistance was that I was shooting it. So what happened was we went to this uh, like abandoned hospital to shoot some stuff. And, I, you know, mm -hmm. I was telling them, like the studio, like, you know, I could shoot that myself. You know, I just need the actors and my little pocket camera. And they were like, nah, you know, they didn't really believe in that or something. I don't know. So what happened was we went there with the whole crew and shot some stuff with the Alexa. And none of that Alexa stuff is in the movie. So like between setups, I would borrow the the cast and just go shoot these little snippets of film. And uh, that's the only thing that wound up in the movie. But the only thing they were sort of afraid of was me shooting it myself just because of union stuff and all of that. Like if, if the cinematographer's union would be upset about me shooting stuff myself or something, but I, I don't know. It yeah. I've, I've heard a lot out. about, uh, -huh. I, I heard some of that, you know, with some of the other stuff that I I've been involved with where it was like, I just wanted to go and shoot B roll with a, uh, like a five D or something. Yeah. And the cinematographer was kind of like, uh, you know, it's like you're really not supposed to do that, you know. But I mean, yeah. when you're when you're used to shooting your own stuff, you don't even think about that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that that was also the thing with the effects, um, because I we shot, for example, we shot at a school where we weren't allowed to show the the name of the school, and so I was telling the line producer that you know I can just paint that out on my laptop, you know, with with open source software. But he was like, no, I mean, it has to go through the pro proper channels and we don't have that in the VFX budget. So instead, the production designer had to paint or make a, a physical sign and actually hang it up over the, the real sign, which just felt stupid. But then when we were in post, I did a lot of or some like 15 or so VFX shots myself. And then it was all right because, you know, the VFX guys you know, unfortunately for them, they don't have a union. So that, that was sort of all right with me doing a bunch of VFX shots myself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, did they kind of give you the, their vote of approval with the stuff that you did. Yeah. I mean, no one said anything like we <laughs> showed it to people like, yeah, I mean, the studio knew that I was doing some of the stuff and they didn't mind, you know, I did it for free. So, you know, it's a win-win. Yeah. Were you now one of the things that I um, I see that you use, and you mentioned this in one of your videos, is that you like to use open source software like Blender. Yeah, um, I, I mean that it started out just because I didn't have any money. You know, I was a filmmaker. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, this 3D software is free, um, and it was a bit of a learning curve. I think Blender's gotten a lot better recently, um, but you know, since it was free and was like pretty much the only option, I sort of powered through and, and learned it. Mm -hmm. Did you just learn by creating projects or was there some sort of resource that you were using? Um, it's a sort of a common, I mean, mostly if, if I wanted to find out how to do a specific thing, I, or sort of a specific thing, I'd just search YouTube for tutorials on that. Otherwise it would like blender guru has a lot of cool tutorials and, you know, on blender nation, you can find a lot of cool stuff as well. So, yeah, but mostly just doing like, yeah, trying to find out what you can and can't do. Right. Um, now, talking about horror in general, 
Um, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about why your shorts really, I mean, they're very effective in terms of, um, you know, having a kind of universal idea behind them, something that's very much, you know, something that connects with people, you know, no matter where they are. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you developed your ability to kind of, and you know, it's not just like cheap jump scares. There's actually some, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, story to it and things that are going on almost subconsciously while you're watching it. How did you kind of develop your technique in terms of, you know, when you're watching the, the short lights out, what, what were your influences and things that you were like, okay, this is how I'm going to, you know, really suck people in and then scare the hell out of them. If that makes sense. That's a long yeah. question. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. When, when I started making horror shows with friends, there were a lot of fake blood and stabbing and stuff like that, which I sort of got tired of. Uh, yeah. And I'm more into sort of suspense and sort of playing with fun ideas and stuff. So, I mean, just the main thing with, uh, with the short was that, you know, we tried to have not just a bunch of scares, but just have that scare in the beginning to get you on the edge, just because then you know that, okay, anything can jump out at any moment, but then not have another scare until the end. So it's just tension up until that point, because whenever you have a jump scare, you uh, sort of deflate the tension and you have to start over again, you know, because mm -hmm. you sort of, you can laugh because you jumped or, or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I just, uh, just love mood and sort of tension and, um, try to keep that maintained for as long as possible. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Are you thinking to yourself, are you kind of like, okay, this is what I want people to be thinking at this moment or feeling at this moment and just trying to kind of like, I mean, there's a great moment when Lata um, tapes the yeah. light and that's kind of like, that's a little bit of comic relief. I think that, I mean, yeah. I don't know if it was planned like that. And it's, it's very similar to the moment where she drops the, I guess it's like a pearl or something or the, yeah. the, the marble or something into the, um, no, yeah, the yeah. thing. And there's always, there's, there's like, it seems like there's a, it's like, it leads up. There's something that's like, okay, we're supposed to sit there and be like, okay, what, what's going on? What is this? You know? And a lot of it's the, the thing that I love about your shorts is so much is done with sound. There's not these cheesy FX, you know, CDs or whatever, yeah. you know, I mean, it's all done purely like quiet and you just hear these little, subtle noises. Yeah. I, I mean, I love playing with expectations because there's nothing more boring when you watch a movie and you, you already know every beat is going to play, you know? So that's what I hope to achieve to play with expectations. And that's something in, that I'm very proud of in the feature that they, a lot of, some of the characters, they don't do the typical stupid horror movie character stuff and get themselves killed. So, you know, people who have seen the film are like, oh, he's going to die now. And then it turns out, no, he's actually smart and he's going to, you know, get away. Um, but also f as far as the humor, you know, I, yeah, I've, I've been doing sort of 
humorous animation for a long time. So I, I like to have that little bit of humor in it. And in fact, in Lights Out, not I mean, the tape was definitely supposed to be a little moment, brief moment of humor. But the face at the end, to me, was supposed to be humorous as well, because it's this sort of <laughs> face that turns off the lights. But most people are, they don't see the humor in it. But, you know. <laughs> it's kind of a twisted humor, probably. Yeah. Uh, no, but I like that because there's and there's funny moments in the in the feature as well. That's um, that's not very evident in the trailer they released, but uh, people, you know, that that's I, I love seeing that the feature with an audience because they laugh and they clap and they cheer and like it's the best. It's like horror and and comedy are the best sort of films to see with an audience, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of the things that a lot of horror movies don't get right is the humor. You know, they they yeah. think that everything is supposed to be just okay, scary, jump scares. You know, somebody walking with a flashlight and then jump scare, and then and they don't really develop the characters at all. You know, yeah. they don't really work on the story. Yeah, but I think you need that sort of dynamic range in movies. You know, like because then, you know, if if everything is just depressive darkness, you know, then, I mean, you need the lighter moments as well, just to have the, the difference between the two and, and the same in, in comedies. If it's just silly the whole time, it's not as good as if you have some emotional depth at times, you just need variation really. And mm-hmm. I think no movie is, has, is needs to be serious enough that you can't have some light moments in them. What would you consider I, – I was actually watching one of your other interviews um, and you mentioned uh, jump scares that were just kind of cheap jump scares. Yeah. And I was wondering if you had kind of an example of what is like an earned jump scare versus one that's just a cheap one thrown in there for effect. Yeah, I mean the cheap ones are the typical – you know, the cat jumping out from a cupboard or something where the, the friend putting a hand on the shoulder or just stuff that's not, that's not part of a scare, you know, like it needs to come from whatever it is that that's scary. So, I mean, for instance, if you take an example from James Wan, the, from insidious, you know, the red demon face. Uh, I mean, I, that sits behind Patrick Wilson. Um, I think oh man, that, that's such a great scene. Yeah. Because that's really well made because you have, you have her telling this story and setting mm-hmm. the mood. And then you even have that sound design, that crackly sound design sort of creeping in a little before you see the, uh, the face. I mean, you can have jump scares. Like I think it's one, is it paranormal activity two or something where all the cupboards open at once. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's just quiet, just someone sitting in a kitchen doing nothing. It's just boring. And then, bam, all these kitchen cabinets fly open. And, of course, you're going to jump because it's unexpected. But it's not part of – it's not really scary, you know. It's not It's not building to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think those are the sort of glacier jump scares. Because you can make people jump very easily. They just have to be unprepared. But to make them – to put them in that mood – and then make them jump is a lot more fun and effective. So is there like a choreography to it that you're like, okay, here's 
this like when you watch Insidious, um, and I, I want to talk about James Wan in just a second, and and you know, it seems very. You know, I, I don't know exactly how he approaches it, but it seems like, okay, this is, we're going to create this jump scare. You know, we're going to put it together and it's got certain beats to it. Yeah. Is there like, as you're going through the screenplay and everything, are you like, okay, we need to have, you know, certain moments that are going to be like this and you just kind of start putting them together? I mean, how does that all work? Um, These sort of come naturally from the situations or I, that, that's what I tried to do at least to, to just build from the situations the characters are in and then not to have them just be uh, like a singular scare, but actually have it be part of a longer sequence. And I think that's sort of James's MO as well to not just have bam, there's a scare and now it's normal scene and bam, there's a scare, but it's actually something that builds. You have, Things start going creepy, and then they get even creepier. You have a little bit of a scare, and then it it just ramps up, and it, it stretches out for longer than just have those brief punctuation scares, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you work do – you th- are you conscious of the, like, the compression and expansion of time as you're going through? Like, this is going to go by real fast, and then once we get to the suspenseful scene, let's just drag it out as much as we can. Pretty much, yeah. We're just, yeah. I mean, all scenes need you need to find that sort of rhythm of when to compress and when to expand. But yeah, for when you when you're in those tense moments, you really want to expand as much as possible without without going overboard. You know, you can have people just walking through a hallway for way too long. Mm-hmm. Do you go, do you do that in editing? You're just kind of like, okay, let's try it a little shorter. Okay. A little, okay. A little, I mean, do you like sit there and just nitpick exactly when's the right moment? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I have a pretty clear, I, I plan these things out in advance so much that it's not that much that can change in editing, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, then, then it's finding the, the, the sound effects as well to, to work with it and just where the sound design because a lot of movies have and that that's something that happened in the initial sound design on lights out as well that they the sound guys were putting in they were sort of giving away the scares with the sounds like they had sounds building up to a scare or like they just had a tendency to put in too much sound and, and telegraphing everything that was going to happen mm-hmm. so yeah that was a bit of a struggle there's nothing scarier to me than being in a horror film and all of a sudden there's like no sound. I mean, that's the scariest, yeah, yeah. you know, scariest you can do because you know something's going to happen. Yeah, and that was the thing with the music as well for the feature that I d- didn't want a lot of music for for the scarier parts. Like we can have music whenever else, but let's go quiet and let's just have the scenes play out as they are, you know. Mhm. Now, moving back, I kind of jumped forward um, talking about Lights Out. When that became a big, you know, kind of a viral success, what uh, – were you contacted by other people? I mean, what what was that kind of like when you realized that people were kind of sharing it? I mean, I think it had like 20,000 or 20 million views or something like, like crazy yeah. like that. Um, well, first sort of people – just random people contacted us and said they wanted to work with us, you know, like actors and 
like this one guy who does special effects for movies, like big blockbuster movies. It was like, hey, I'd love to work with you. And it's like, yeah, I'd, I'd love that too. But, you know, it's just me and Lotta in a, our apartment in Sweden with no money. It's like, how's that going to work? <laughs> but then I actually, you know, we started getting contacted by these people and by journalists. And then I actually said to Lotta, you know. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I've heard that people in Hollywood, you know, get representation, that people get representation from Hollywood through like viral videos and stuff that agents and managers, you know, look at Vimeo staff picks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a day after I said that I woke up and I had my first email from a management company here. And then it was just all at once. Like I got contacted by me, uh, managers and agents and uh, producers and studios. And it was just insane. Like I had to put together a spreadsheet with everyone I talked to and what I, what was said the last time. Like, <laughs> and um, yeah, it was so weird. Like, so, you know, first of all, I had to sort of choose manager and agent, mm-hmm. uh, which was a great position to be in because I had all these options, but at the same time, I knew nothing about them because when you Google these management companies or agencies, you know, they don't, they hardly have web pages because they don't want people contacting them. Like they'll contact you if you've done something they're interested in. Right. So I had to, I got like an IMDb pro account so that I could at least see like who these guys were representing um, just to get a, a feel for who they were. And, um, yeah, it was just it, it, a crazy time because, because of the time difference, you know, during the day, I just have a normal day. And then during the evening and the night, it was just phone calls with Hollywood every day. <laughs> uh-huh. So you still had like a normal day job when this was all going on? Yeah. I mean, my job at the time was pretty much a freelance animator, right? which is code word for broke. Uh, <laughs> Because, you know, I, I was doing this on my own and I'm terrible with charging for my work. So they were like, hey, so how much do you want to make this one minute commercial? And it's like, oh, well, you know, it's not that hard to do. So I can't really charge <laughs> a lot of money for it. And yeah. Yeah. So uh, and that, that like, was the thing like that. that was the thing as well, that once I, I picked uh, a manager, mm-hmm. uh, they were like, Hey, so can you fly out to LA because we want you to meet all these people and, you know, go on this, go to all these producers and studios and stuff like that. And it's like, nope, I don't have money. So all I could do was sort of Skype with people for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, I got in contact with a producer called Lawrence Gray. Uh, he was one of the first sort of producers I got in contact with who wanted to make something out of Lights Out. And, um, you know, as soon as that started coming together, he he paid for, for Lothar and me to fly out to L.A. so we could meet, you know, James Wan and the studio and get everyone on board. And that when we were out here, that's when I did the whole water bottle tour, as they call it, where you go to all these studios and producers and just have general meetings. And, mm-hmm. you know, they offer you a bottle of water since you get it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so, so uh, how was that? I mean, was that like a total cultural shock for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I didn't know 
what you're supposed to do because it's just a general meeting. So it's like they just they ask about you and you know what who you are and like what you want to do, and then they give you their spiel about who they are and what they do, and then you know you can get their business card and it's like, hey, let's keep in touch or something, and you walk out of it. Sometimes they might send you a script or something like, hey, maybe this script is something for you. And yeah, but I just uh, yeah, it was all new. And then that's yep. the thing as well that after um, so we were out here for a little over a week, I think, and one of the last scheduled things was to meet New Line, the studio that was interested in, in doing Lights Out. And uh, so after every general meeting, my agents would talk to, you know, like check up on, oh, so how was that? And the feedback they got was that I was very sort of reserved and that, you know, I didn't talk a lot because, you know, I was very Swedish. And um, <laughs> What do you want? I'm yeah. Swedish. Come on. <laughs> so... So I got this call from my agent that were and my, my managers and they were sort of telling me that, you know, it's important when you meet the studio now that, you know, you can show them that you're that you can be captain of the ship, you know, that you can be a di- director, <laughs> take charge. And it's like, oh, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so I, I just, you know, tried my best to just talk a lot and be, you know, and I, I was sort of telling them about this. YouTube short I made that got banned from YouTube because it was had a lot of you know giant dicks and vaginas and a lot of sex and stuff <laughs> in it and you know that made him laugh so you know and you know I got to break the movie so I must have done something right but your manager wasn't like okay that was a little too far <laughs> let's tone it down now well they weren't there so they <laughs> they just knew that right. they they called me they back they knew it after. went well yeah, they just called me back after. I heard you killed it. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that was with New Line. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the, how do these these come? The the project comes together. You're talking to the the executives. I mean, uh, you know, where does where does James Wan come into the picture with all this? Um, well, it actually started with when I was talking to all these people in Hollywood. I. Um, one of the managers I talked to had this client who had written a script that I really loved because I, you know, even before all of this happened, I'd read a lot of scripts. Like I, you know, every year they have the blacklist with the mm-hmm. most read scripts and most liked scripts in Hollywood or, or whatever. So I'd made sure every year to find downloads of all of these scripts so I could read them just to see what good scripts are like. And uh, this guy had written one of those blacklist scripts, a horror script that I, I really liked. So I got in, in touch with him and started um, talking about Lights Out because when we made the short, we had no idea what the, what a feature would be because we didn't expect to make a feature out of it. So I started talking to this writer here in L.A. who had an idea for it, but his idea was very big. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like, like I, I don't think I could – I don't – think I could handle that as my first movie. And I don't think people would give me that kind of budget, you know, just coming from having done nothing to doing such a big thing. So instead I had this idea of making a smaller sort of more family based story that could be made for less money, uh, which that writer wasn't as interested in, but that writer put me in touch with Lawrence Gray, the producer and Lawrence Gray was still interested in, in that idea. So I wrote a treatment 
based on that idea, like a 15 page treatment or, or something. Mm-hmm. And um, Lawrence knew James Wan, like he had been meeting with him and they wanted to do find something to do together. And he th- felt that this could be it. So he sent my treatment to James to read, which he liked. So that's when they flew me out here to LA to meet with James. And um, uh, so we did that. And then uh, because James has his relationship in New Line, that's how they came in. You know, they uh, they work together a lot. And James has now his production company at the, the Warner lot to make, uh, you know, these kind of low budget horror movies with New Line. And uh, it just came together really fast and really smoothly. And people have kept telling me, you know, that don't get used to that because that's usually not (laughs) how it happens. But, yeah, it just worked out really well. You off the topic, do you ever deal with like trolls and people who are just kind of being jerks about like, I mean, it is kind of a a rapid rise to that kind of thing. I mean, that's. That's what I was expected, that people would sort of hate me because I got this, that I got this lucky. You know, people should hate that. But, <laughs> but instead, people, at least on YouTube and all the comments that I read, people are like, hey, I'm so proud of you. And like, yay, you. And like, <laughs> oh, okay, great. Like, there doesn't seem to be jealousy. There seems more to be like, oh, hey, one of us actually got in the door of, of Hollywood, you know. Yeah, which is how I feel about it because I certainly don't feel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think if you had a, you know, if you came out with sunglasses on, you were just like, you know, being all egotistical. You. Now. <laughs> you're like, yeah. be like, hey, this that was the nice guy. What happened to the Vimeo guy that I used to love? Yeah. Like, yeah. ah, screw um, you guys. Now I'm a big time player. No, I don't. <laughs> like, oh, just uh, the other day, I was meeting with this actress for. Uh, potentially for Annabelle too. And, you know, of course they set up this meeting at Chateau, Mar- Chateau Marmont here in Los Angeles uh-huh. where, you know, you're supposed to meet celebrities. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And it's just, it's just so awkward. Like he was like, <laughs> she was like, Oh, well, let, let me give you my email. And she put out her hand to, so I, cause she wanted me to give, uh, her, my phone to her. But, but when she stretched out her hand, I was like, Oh, she wants to shake my hand. Okay. So I shaked her hand. It's like, she was like, uh, no, your, your phone. It's like, Oh, oh, okay. So yeah, I'm, I think I'm always going to be that awkward. Nerd. <laughs> No, probably. I mean, uh, you know, once you have one, you've got one on your, you know, behind you, I think the next one, you're going to be a little more like, okay, this is, I'm getting, you're going to find your comfort zone, you know? Yeah, hopefully. It's just, yeah, it's weird. I'm, it feels like I'm just, just like going along with everything and just, okay, you know. But, yeah. Yeah, so far. I mean, I certainly can't speak from, you know, experience with that, but L.A. is a very bizarre town, too, you know, which is. Yeah. The way people act, and I mean, I was I was a you know lowest of I was working as like a PA on stuff, and you know I, there was just this whole way that people talk and act that I just couldn't ever wrap my head around, you know, because I come from the South and we just kind of say we we I don't know, it's just a different world. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it's weird as well. Like, hope I don't 
turn into an asshole. But like, I mean, when this <laughs> started, I, I'd get a lot of people were sending me like their, their shorts, like, hey, can you watch my short? Or they'd send me scripts and stuff like that. And, you know, I'd, I'd watch them. Uh, but now, <laughs> the more time goes on, I'm getting so many shorts sent to me. Like, I, I don't have time to watch them all. It's like, uh, sorry, you know, like, I, yeah, I want to be a, a nice guy and helpful, but I just don't have the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you a question about that. You know, you're you're in a situation now where you're seeing a lot of shorts um, and your shorts were they were all very effective. What are the things that you see with people who are making maybe indie films, indie horror films and making shorts and things like that, that maybe is kind of like mistakes that you see people making in terms of, you know, not being really effective as, you know, maybe jump scares or being scary or whatever. Cause there, there's a lot of filmmakers out there making shorts, trying to do what you're doing and it's just not quite hitting the, the nail on the head. I mean, I see the, the biggest problem that I see is that they're too long or that mm-hmm. they don't get to it quickly enough. Even, even the ones that are just three minutes or something like, I feel like with attention spans today and especially online, you have to, you have to keep up the pace and just, I think timing is just uh, the biggest issue. The second biggest is probably sound that people don't, you know, spend enough time on, on sound. Like the, a lot of shorts can look great because you have all these cameras and tools these days to make them look really expensive, but then people don't pay as much attention to sound. Uh, but yeah, timing and sound, I'd say. What so, did you use to like you I assume you had like a digital recorder yeah when you were shooting did you what did you use for like the kind of jumps those those sounds um well actually I, I didn't have for all of these shorts I don't record sound when we're shooting uh, mm. I replace all the sound in post and that's that's something I started doing as soon as I could edit digitally like on a computer that's how I I, I did it just replace every sound, even the dialogue, just to have that control. Um, like I may not be necessary to be that anal about it, but you know, that's, that's been how I work with it. So, and also I've always wanted to make sure that I could put these up without any copyright issues and stuff like that. So I've always been sort of afraid of like sound effects, libraries or, royalty-free music and stuff like that in case they weren't actually royalty-free and stuff like that. So I've made a point out of trying to record as much sound myself as a, that I can and just try and make my own music, even if, even though it's not great. It's at least I know I can use it as much as I want. Um, but yeah, I've just, I have for a while there, I used to record a lot of sounds just on my, well, I had a Zoom H4 and just brought it with me when I was going places just because, hey, maybe I'll find a cool sound. Um, yeah. You like Ben Burt? <clears throat> Sorry. Are you a fan of Ben Burt? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's awesome. Um, but yeah, just trying to gather as much sounds as I can to keep in my little library. Do you um one of the things that I think is also really effective is not showing the monster, you know? Yeah. 
that I, I've seen a couple of shorts recently where it was like, oh, okay, that was the that's the thing that we're supposed to be afraid of. And you look at it and you're kind of like, okay, that's not yeah. quite, you know. No, yeah, like we did this short called Coffer, where I kind of uh, kind of regret showing a monster at the end there because I don't think it was needed. Uh, but yeah, in, in general, I try to not show it as much. And even in the feature, you don't see a lot of the what she actually looks like because I mean, you're what you imagine something to be is always going to be scarier than whatever rubber suit you get made. Even though you have, even though we had like Oscar-winning makeup artists created you know mm-hmm. yeah I, I remember i think it was spielberg who was always saying that you know you're what you bring it it doesn't matter how scary the monster is what you have in your head is always going to be a lot scarier than anything we can create on screen yeah i'm I, i'm a big believer in that so i want to get into uh, a little bit about talking with james wan and if you could describe Meeting with him, because you sounded very casual about that, but I mean, I think that for most of us, it would be kind of a a big deal to meet, you know, somebody like James Wan and to to be able to kind of just see how his mind works. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, Well, there's a lot going on in his mind. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that first time I met him, he was just, he had so many ideas. Like he was just saying, hey, maybe we do this, maybe that, and maybe this could be that. and and, And they were so like far apart from each other and like from i mean some were like totally sort of opposite from the treatment i had while others were very much in line with it but it's like so walking out of that meeting i was like am i supposed to incorporate all those (laughs) ideas into the script or into the story because i can't do that like there were just so many and so varied you know but he I, yeah guy just has a lot of ideas um no but, but that first meeting was great except for just freaking out with all the ideas he had uh-huh. um but i mean yeah he, he's cool i mean he sort of started out with a short as well he made saw as a short and got to make a feature over here and uh yeah it was just telling me a lot about just just to have fun with it because it's yeah, it's a weird business and a weird process. So, but couldn't really listen to that on Lights Out because I was freaking out. It's like, oh, this is my chan- chance. I better <laughs> better make it awesome. But maybe for <laughs> maybe for Annabelle, I'll be able to be a little more relaxed and have fun with it. Well, did you? I mean, psychologically, was what did you have to do to kind of just say, okay, I'm gonna deal with this and just kind of move forward. And even though things are freaking me out, I'm, I mean, did, I'm sure there was a certain aspect of your personality that was like, that has like this imposter syndrome, which is something we all have, Oh yeah, you know, of like walking in somewhere and being like, Oh, well, you know, I'm just waiting for these guys to figure out that, you know, I'm, I'm a fake or whatever, you know? And that, that's not just, I mean, that's everybody's kind of has that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, especially with this, it's like, how come they're letting me do this? Like, do they think <laughs> I have more experience than I actually do? Cause I think maybe it was an advantage that I was from Sweden. So for all they know, I could be huge in Sweden and have a big <laughs> career there. But so, yeah, I mean, I, it just was this weird feeling of just going along with everything. Just, you know, just like, there's no way to prepare. So it's just, all right, I'll just go along and try to figure things out as best I can, try to be as prepared as possible, do a lot of storyboards and just figure everything out as much as possible in advance. 
And uh, yeah, there's just so much weirdness. Like when we a little over a year ago, when we first got here, I was invited to this. You know, like I, I'm with the same agency as James Wan, and uh, Furious Seven had recently came out, where it had made like a billion dollars or something. So Lotta and I were invited to this party in James's honor, and we had just gotten here, and the film wasn't <laughs> the film wasn't green light yet, so we had no money. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Like. We had borrowed from our families as much as we could just to, you know, buy food and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, so we had no money at all. And we got invited to this party in this mansion in Beverly Hills, you know, and it's like, you know, Vin Diesel was there and Adrian Brody. And it's like, what the hell are we doing here? It felt like <laughs> we we'd snuck into this thing. And so we were just sort of standing there talking to each other in Swedish, like keeping this appearance up of just casually talking, but we were just saying things like, this is so fucking weird. Like, what are we doing here? Like we, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, Hey, Hey, Vin Diesel. How's it going? Yeah. Oh, good, good to see it you. Was, and I mean that, that weirdness just hasn't stopped. Like when we went to CinemaCon recently, because now we're doing publicity for, for lights out. You know, we, we got to go on uh, a private plane chartered by Warner brothers, you know, and there was like Samuel Jackson and Christoph Waltz and, uh, uh, all these celebrities, Jared Leto, and uh, on a private plane going to Vegas, and it was just, this is so weird. Like, I, how can you can you ever get used to this? I, <laughs> is there anything that like kind of being in that world that surprised you that you kind of didn't think would be the way it actually is? Um, it's kind of a vague question, but yeah, I mean. Or are people just kind of are people that are like that, you know, celebrities and stuff. When you're kind of hanging out at that level, is it like, are they just kind of down to earth and just like kind of well, normal? I mean, and yeah, but well, I don't dare to talk to them anyway. So, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I I talked to two Swedish celebrities just briefly, Alexander Skarsgård and Joel Kinnaman, but otherwise it's like I just feel so out of place that I can't, you know, I just keep to myself. Yeah. Yeah, but they they seem like normal people, I guess. Yeah. Um, now I want to go a little into pre-production, um, and just talk about that a little bit. What was involved? How long was that process? Was it like okay, this is when you're setting it all out? I assume that just from a complete outsider's point of view, you've got. I mean, who who's kind of your chief person that you're leaning on? Are you dealing with like a line producer? Are they giving you a certain, you've got, okay, this is your certain amount of time that you have to work on this. You're working on the screenplay with uh, your writer. I mean, how, how is, how does basically pre-production all come together? And then, you know, what are the kind of ways that, you know, what are the things that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, first it's sort of like a soft prep, I guess, when you're still just figuring out the screenplay and you're sort of People are slowly starting to get hired. Like, yeah, a line producer is, is was the one you sort of talk to a lot during pre-production. Um, and then all of a sudden, we, you know, you have a pre-production office with all these people. And um, yeah, I, I mean, my first sort of thought before all of this was like, 
is this just going to be like me stepping onto a film set and not knowing what the hell is going to happen or how things work? But during prep, I don't know how many like real prep weeks we had, six, seven or something on Lights Out. But during prep, there's so much going through everything that once you get on set, you you know the movie inside out. You know, you have all these, you do camera tests, you do like uh, tech scouts where you go through, you know, the, the whole location and, and just tell everyone everything that's going to be shot and how it's going to be shot. And um, so it's just a lot of preparing and a lot of answering questions because that's something that the new line told me before it all started. Like I went to dinner with these two executives and they were like, you're going to get a lot of questions. Just answer them right away. Don't let them pile up until this big thing. Cause even if you answer them wrong, we can always fix that on set. So, uh, and, and all the <laughs> questions were like, you know, what kind of car does this person drive? What kind of uh, shovel does this person pick up in this scene? Like, Stuff like that. Like there's a a, a, a shot where someone picks up a, a shovel. So you get presented with like five different shovel options. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I want that shovel. And it's just so much weird. So many questions. And it, it like it started, I, I got burnt out on giving answers. So I was actually buying a hamburger late one evening and I like couldn't decide on the, on the menu, which burger to get. So I like, I called my, looked at my wife and I was like, Hey, just tell me what burger to get. Cause I, I I'm done with answers. <laughs> um, no, so it's just, yeah, a, a lot of going through everything and figuring everything out, lots of answering questions. And, um, the weird thing on lights out was that there were some casting issues that, ate up a lot of the pre-production time, unfortunately. So, for example, Teresa Palmer wanted to do it pretty early on, but then there were some issues like, for example, we found out that she didn't actually have a visa or like a work visa because she's Australian. So, mm-hmm. like, she's married to an American, so we all figured like, well, she, you know, she's married to him. But it turned out that she... Uh, like you have to be in the country for a certain number of days, consecutive days. And because she's an actress, she travels all over all the time. So she hasn't had that opportunity yet. So while that was figured out, we had to look for others. And uh, yeah, it was this whole thing where people got cast very late. In fact, Maria Bello was cast uh, like a week or two into shooting the movie. So the first time I actually met her, was like five minutes before her first scene. So it's like, oh, hey, nice <laughs> to meet you and action. So, but, but I, I was really lucky in the fact that we had such great actors that, you know, it's not like we needed all of that prep. Like they got into it really quickly and were awesome. Because, you know, New Line was saying like, yeah, this is the first time we've never had a table read uh, before the shoot because we just didn't have the cast. Oh, wow. And And it also meant that like Billy Burke is in the film and he was cast even later than Maria Bello. He, he plays her husband. So all of the like family photos in the house had to be just green pieces of paper. And then we had to, <laughs> you know, put that in, right. in post. So that was insane. Uh, but, you know, it worked out. 
Well, talk a little bit about – I think one of the things that intimidates directors, it certainly does me, is the the idea of you know working with an actor who is at that level, you yeah. know? What did you learn by, you know, working with those people and what kind of – what things can you share about what you learned about the directing actors? Well, I mean something I've learned since I was younger is just that you're never going to get what's in your head. Like you, you have this sort of vision about – I mean the whole movie really, but with actors as well, that you, you hear them in your head saying things a certain way, but you're never going to get that. I mean if you try to just get them to say exactly this in exactly this way it's just not going to be good so my approach is just to go sort of to not go against the grain let the actors sort of find it or whatever so for the first like for the first take i'd not give them much direction at all and just see what what would come out of them and if if it was too far from what i wanted we'd talk about it and we'd try it again you know but, uh, yeah, in general, I just, I mean, they, they were so great that it was just, it wasn't very difficult. It wasn't like I had to pull a good performance out of them. It just sort of came naturally and we just did tweaked it a little bit. So, mm. Yeah. But yeah, it was sort of intimidating. Like, you know, Maria Bello, which I'm a huge fan of. She's in, I love a history of violence, which she's in and like, she's in prisoners uh-huh. and all of that. And, uh, but you know, she's like pro, she'd come in and just nail it. And she would also sort of talk about like almost give tips or like when she was walk- working with Gabriel, uh, a little kid in the film, she would sort of come over to me like, you know, he's doing this and this, maybe you could talk to him about that. So, uh, which was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found also that on some of the indie, you know, really low budget stuff, if you have one really good actor in there, a lot of times they kind of become the default, yeah. like acting teacher for everybody. You know? So it's like if you have a film, get at least one. I mean, in your case, you've got a bunch of great actors. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But I mean, in that case, it's like everybody's game goes up when you have somebody who's is really yeah. You know, now both Ma- Marie and and uh, Teresa, my mother and daughter, were just awesome. Like we have this scene where they're sort of a little bit of an emotional scene between them, and it's like, you know, everyone who was there and saw that was just like, yes, we 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 got it. You know, this is this is going to be great because uh, mm-hmm. they just play off each other really really well. And you can just sit back and go, look at what a good director I am. <laughs> well, it was a little bit like that because we had – when they were shooting this um, – um, we were shooting this argument at a dinner table and we were shooting it sort of handheld, sort of free-flowing. Um, and, and you know, sitting by the monitor looking at that sort of handheld argument with great acting was like, hey, this, this feels like a Lars von Trier film or something. It's like, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. They were like, who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's some Swedish guy. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, I'm just kind of amazed. I'm, I'm kind of living vicariously through this, through everything you're saying. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, well, I want to, I plan on doing a bunch of YouTube videos just talking about all this because this is stuff that I would want to know. Like, how does this happen and how, what's the process like? Uh, and I really want to talk about that, but most of that will have to be after the movie comes out just because I want to go so in depth with the whole thing, you know, what yeah. story points and everything. No, that would be amazing. You know, it's it's one of the difficult things I'm doing. You know, this is probably the first time I've talked to, to a filmmaker about a film that hasn't come out. Usually what we would do is just kind of jump in and start dissecting everything, you know, right, but yeah. I, you know, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing, hopefully, yeah, that would be great if you could just kind of explain the experience and put things together. Yeah. Um, I just want to make sure that I, I've got a bunch of questions here. How are you doing for time? You okay? I'm, I'm, I have all day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, this will be our first 24 hour interview. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just sit here. People will tune out. Um, now, let me see here. I've got a bunch of different things. I wanted to continue talking a little bit. I don't know how, you know, I talked to, um, I've talked to a number of filmmakers who have worked with, you know, kind of, people that have big names in horror right now. I talked to Daniel Stamm about making the last exorcism um, with Eli Roth and James Wan and Eli Roth are kind of in similar stratospheres right now in terms of the horror world. Um, Was he kind of, you know, hands on with stuff? Would he come on set? And one of the things that I, I was thinking about was like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if you're working on a horror film and you could say, I wonder how James Wan would do this thing. And then you just say, well, let me give him a call and like, let him see this or whatever. Were there any like moments like that where you're like, let me, let me kind of see what's in his head. How, how would we put this together to be better? Or, or was there anything like that? Uh, a little bit. Uh, but I mean, he, he's a really busy guy. So yeah. he, he, he wasn't around all the time, but he did come by the set uh, a few times and he did have a lot of input. Like, He'd give me sort of his input, like, you know, maybe you can shoot this scene all in sort of one take because that is usually very effective when, when you don't cut a lot, when you have these sort of scary sequences. So, so we'd try that. And, uh, no, see, so he, he did come in and sort of uh, come with, come up with some advice. And he, and in pre-production, he was around for a, a little bit as well and had some ideas. Like, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the, there's a neon sign gag, you know, that the neon sign goes on and off and she sort of blinks in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually his idea because my original idea was that it would be cars going by outside and the sort of headlights would sort of sweep across the room and that's how she would sort of appear and disappear. But the neon sign was a really cool thing because you get more of that on off thing instead of this, this sweeping light. Uh, it, it did make it hard to shoot though, because, you know, a neon sign would be on a set time interval. Mm-hmm. So at first we tried shooting it like, okay, it's four minutes, four seconds on four seconds off. And Teresa would have to sort of, uh, act to that number. It's like, okay, so the first time it goes off, you do this and second time you do this and it just didn't work. So what we had to do was I would just call out on or off. So I would watch her performance and it's like, okay, now it would be good if it came on. Now it would be good if it came off. But I, but so I was sort of afraid that people would go, what the hell is wrong with that neon sign? Because that sometimes it's off for 10 seconds. Sometimes it's off for one second, but no one that's seen the movie so far has complained. So, you know, it worked out. Did you ever, 
talk to him about any of his films like uh, The Conjuring or Insidious or any of those? Or did you have any – like I, I would just be like – I would have like a million questions. He'd be like, OK, I don't want to work with this guy anymore. Just shut up. And leave me alone. <laughs> um, did you did you like ever kind of talk about his stuff? Because I mean obviously – you know, when I watched Lights Out, the first kind of idea I had was this is kind of in the same genre, kind of in the same mindset as um, Insidious. And I don't know right, if Insidious yeah. – I don't know which came before or whatever, but did that – did his films influence you uh, or Saw, obviously? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they did. Uh, but I, what we mostly talked about I think was Saw just because that was his – that was the, the closest to my experience because that was his first movie, his, his, mm-hmm. his first time sort of coming to L.A. and doing all of that. So he would talk about you know the difficulties of – getting that made and just, yeah, trying, trying to give as much advice as he could on just how to get through your, your first movie. But I mean, his, his was a little bit different as well because he, like, he couldn't get into the country right away. So like he had to do like all the pre-production from, he was stuck up in Canada waiting for his visa. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he had like a couple of days of prep on site before they had to start shooting. So, yeah, I'm really glad that didn't happen to me. And, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, we didn't really talk about stuff like that. He, he would sort of just give more of a general advice, like, you know, try to shoot more overlapping stuff uh, because I, I'm so used to shooting and editing myself. So I'll only shoot like, okay, now I know that I'm going to cut to this and then I'm going to cut back. So I don't need all that. But so he was sort of adamant that no, but try to actually shoot everything through because you don't know what happens in editing, uh, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. When you were on set, who was the guy that kind of, I mean, did you have a pretty good relationship with your assistant director? Was there, was it, did you feel pretty comfortable after a while? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I got along great with everyone. And he's, yeah, my assistant director is coming back on Annabelle too. Um, like I have no idea. I've, that's the first time I've ever worked with an assistant director. So I, I've, <laughs> he's good or not, but I, I like him. So he's coming back. Um, no, it's just the first time working with everyone really. Like I've never had an, someone else edit what I've shot before. So that was weird where someone else sh- shoot what I'm making. So a lot of times it was almost like, oh, just let me do it, you know? Yeah. Um, did you but, kind of sit in Video Village and just kind of watch from there? Or did you actually get up and direct no, I, from I, the I, camera? Yeah, yeah. I mean, always sort of me at the camera. I would only look at a monitor. I, I mean, I usually I'd just look at the focus pullers monitor because it was closer. I didn't want to go all the way <laughs> to Video Village. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the good thing about the editing was that I've, I'd never edited with, uh, Avid on the Avid. Mm-hmm. So, um, so even if I wanted to just take over, I, I didn't know that software at all. So I just had to sort of talk to the editor instead. What was that process like? I mean, how, how did you, um, I was that where did they start editing before you finished directing? What was what yeah. was kind of the timeline on that? No, they were editing while we were shooting, you know, like they got material continuously. So 
as soon as we had wrapped production, I, you know, went to the post-production office and I could see the first cut of the movie and I got super depressed. (laughs) (laughs) This is the worst thing ever. Um, And everyone was telling me that that's how everyone feels, but now starts the real work, you know, to make it into a good movie. Cause everyone was saying like, well, you know, when Ben Affleck saw the first cut of Argo, he was like, my career's over. And then he won Oscars and stuff. And it, it really is like that because you have, while you're shooting, you have this vision in your head. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then you see what someone else has put together and it's like, oh, no, I wouldn't have put that there. And that, you know, it's all it's not at all what you expect. You get really depressed, but, you know, you keep working at it. You take things out, you move things around and you tweak it. And then eventually it's like, hey, this isn't bad. Um, But, yeah. And I I mean, I I got really depressed during the, the shooting as well, because here. The thing is that whenever we make our shorts, Lotta and I, halfway through the short, I'll just be, no, this is shit. I don't want to do this. And and she'll have to convince me that, no, we're actually going to finish this. And then we do. And then it actually, you're like, hey, this isn't bad. You know, we've actually made something cool. And that happened on Lights Out as well. But because it was a feature in my first Hollywood film and everything, it was so much worse. Like I got so depressed for, for a while there in the middle. It's like, this isn't fun at all. Like I don't want to make movies and yeah. And the, the producers took me out to dinner to sort of cheer me up and talk about it. And that, the whole Ben Affleck Argo thing came up there as well. It's like, you're going to like it when it's finished. Um, yeah. And I got back to it and powered through and then got fun again. And it, turned into a good movie, but it was just so overwhelming, you know, working with all these people and being, you know, like questioned on the camera stuff that I was talking about before. And just, oh, it was so overwhelming and just so much work. You know, you work 15 hour days, so you, you really become depressed. But then once it's over, you're like, yeah, let's do that again. So, <laughs> it, it's weird. Do you remember a moment when you really started feeling that depression? I mean, was it just that things weren't coming together the way you wanted them to? Yeah, or, or just, I don't know if it, exactly what it was. It was just dealing with so much at once and, and those really long hour days. I think I was the most depressed after like a 15 hour day, came home at night. It's like, oh, this, I can't, I can't do it, you know? Yeah. Um, just from exhaustion? I, yeah, I, yeah, I think that was a big part of it because I can't really point to one thing where it's like, oh, that just fucked everything up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just hard to get through. But it, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really super important for other filmmakers also to hear, you know, because not many people will, you know, they don't talk about that aspect of it that, you know, and, and you can look back through time. I mean, look at, you know, Star Wars or all these, you know, amazing films. I, I was listening to some interview, I think, with uh, Robert Rodriguez about talking with uh, Quentin Tarantino and how depressed he was that Pulp Fiction was just this piece of shit. And he was like so depressed yeah. about it. And he was like, it doesn't make any sense. And it's da 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 and whatever, you know, and it's like, it seems like a pretty common thread 
with, yeah. you know, making a film that you, you will go through that, you know? Yeah. And, and even, I even mean, the shorts, like you said, like the short too. Yeah. I mean, the most important thing is to not give up, even though, I mean, when you're in that moment, you are a hundred percent sure that this is never going to be good, that this is going to be shit. So it's really hard to continue, especially if you're making a low budget, no budget thing at home, because then it's easy. It's just, nah, well, let's, you know, go watch Game of Thrones or, you know, do something else instead. But you just really have to power through and, and, and get it done because you, you can't know how you will feel about it when it's done while you're in the making of it. You, you just can't, even though you're 100% convinced that you can. Right. Now, how, I'm just curious. How old were you when you made Lights Out, the, the short? Uh, so that was uh, – Well, how old are you now? I'm 35. So okay. 33, maybe? 32, 33? Okay. I guess it was I, the end of – the deadline for that competition that we entered it in was December 30th, 2013. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it went viral in the spring of 2014. Right. Yeah. Well, can you, was there any day in particular that sticks out that was like the hardest day you ever had on the set? I mean, I guess it must've been that 15 hour day when we were just, yeah, trying to because the the we actually shot the finale of the film or a, a big sort of scene pretty early on, and that's what took so much time and was so hard. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if it was the same day. Maybe it was the same day, but when we were having a big argument with the camera team as well because we were shooting. Uh, one of those scenes with with the neon light when she disappears, you know? So you have to shoot, you have to lock the camera off, shoot it with the performer, and then shoot it without the performer. So you can do that, the effects thing of her going in and out. And they were, so we'd moved the camera, and then we were going to shoot one more time of her appearing and disappearing, and they were telling me that, no, but we already shot the clean, clean plate. And I was like, but we've moved the camera. We have to do another clean plate. And they were kept telling me that, but we already have it. We shot it before. And I was like, eventually I just snapped. And I was like, just put the camera here, turn it on. And now you come in here and now you, okay, now roll the camera, cut it. And like, I just had to take over and be, yeah, I was, (laughs) yeah, kind of mad. Do you have – looking back now on the, the process and kind of being a little more weathered, I mean do, do you feel like you changed a lot from the first day to the last day in terms of just the way you were doing things? Yeah, and I just, just realizing how much you can ask for or, or demand even because uh, it was this whole thing that I've, I've talked about – I've talked about recently where um, like I wanted this – Scene to be shot with candlelight, like the little boy Gabriel, he has a candle walking through the house, and everyone was telling me like, no, you can't do that. You got to light it. You got to light it properly. And it's like, oh, okay. And but then James came to the set the day we were shooting that, and he was like, hey, you, sh- you should light that with just a candle. And everyone was like, oh, okay, great, great, <laughs> we'll do that. So it's like, I, I, yes, Mr. Wong, re- sure, whatever you say. 
Yeah, so I've just realized that you can demand more. And something I, I discovered as well was sometimes when I was just tired and things weren't going as well as I wanted to, I'd, I'd be like, all right, that's good enough. Let's move on. But then everyone would be like, good enough? No. Like, <laughs> that's like the worst thing you can tell the, the film crew, that it's just good enough because they want it to be really good. You know? Did you say that on the set? Ah, it's good enough. <laughs> I did, and, and I got that reaction. It's like, what do you mean, good enough? Like, and then like I'm Swedish, we, but I mean something else to us. We say it in a different way. Did yeah. it sound bad? I don't know. Yeah, no. So it's just realizing how much you can actually demand or sort of get people to do. Because the thing as well is that no one on set is going to care as much about the film as you do. Just because for most of these people, for most of the crew, it's just another job. You know, like they've another movie and they'll just soon move on to another thing. So of course, if there's an easy way to do it, then that means they'll go home to their families earlier. And, you know, you can't blame them for, for, for that, but sometimes you have to do things the hard way, the, the way that'll take a lot of time just to get it right. And uh, yeah, I've sort of learned to demand that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, as far as I've seen with a lot of, you know, these films, the director is usually the one person who has the least experience of being on a set. Yeah. You know, because all the, these other the, guys have been working for years as, you know, crew members and doing stuff. That's a weird thing. Like you know, you, there's two jobs on a film set you can get with no experience. It's a PA and the director, so, <laughs> uh, which is super weird to be on that film set and feel, I mean, it's reassuring as well to feel that you are the least experienced because at least everyone else has made movies before. Uh, yeah, it's really weird that a, a director can get that shot while others have to do go the long way, you know, to, to get good at cinematographer or, or you know, yeah, it's a strange business. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you kind of see that going right and going wrong with different people, you know, because there's a lot of directors who are around now. Absolutely. I mean, I look at like Gareth Edwards, for example, is probably one of the the closest examples to to kind of your story, you know, which was he made he went out and was making stuff on his own. And then, you know, he made monsters with a little, you know, uh, yeah. the AX, AX something, the Sony with a yeah. lettuce 50 millimeter on his, you know, and then just took it into. I mean, I see a lot of similarities with with what you guys have done. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And yeah. uh, he, he was the one that kind of inspired me to kind of get back into filmmaking after, you know, I'd been doing graphic design for years. And I was like, wow, look at what this guy did. And just kind of shot handheld and put all the effects in with motion tracking and everything. And then I saw what you did. And when I first discovered your videos – I didn't know that you were making a feature. I think that the first time I saw Lights Out, you had already you were already in L.A. You were already making it, you know. So I I didn't even know that part of the story after it. Yeah, no, I mean it's quite interesting that there's so Hollywood seems to be so prepared to take chances on new directors, which is uh, yeah probably a bad idea sometimes. I, mean, I wouldn't have <laughs> given me. A movie because that's that's the thing back in Sweden where we couldn't get money. You know, I went to one of the film centers in Sweden and wanted to get like a couple of grand to make a short, and they 
thought that they said that I wasn't experienced enough to apply for the sort of professional money. And they said, yeah, maybe you can apply for the rookie money. But the rookie money was for people under 30. So suddenly I was like, okay, I'm too old for the rookie money. I'm too inexperienced for professional money. So what do I do now? Well, Hollywood, you know, they see a two and a half minute short I directed and they're like, hey, here's $5 million. (laughs) Direct the movie. And uh, I was talking to a DP who shot uh, a single man, among other films. He's from uh, Spain. And he was saying the same thing. Like he was 27 and no one in Spain wanted to take a chance on him as a DP. But in Hollywood, they were like, yeah, you can DP a single man. So for some reason, they're stupid enough to take chances on people. (laughs) Do you find that like, I mean, what did you notice when you were in that world of producers and executives and stuff? Are they kind of dialed into that whole world of YouTube people and Vimeo. I mean, is that kind of, have have they really started focusing on finding their next people from there? I mean, obviously with you. Yeah. Um, No, that's something I've discovered here that you hear a lot of talk about what's currently, you know, the viral video or yeah, people get discovered from that a lot. It seems, I mean, I don't seems to still be pretty rare that one goes to a feature, but you can still, you know, get in a room get meetings and people and maybe representation by doing shorts because they seem to keep track of what's out there and what's popular. When Nate would talk to you about your shorts, when, I mean, and I don't know if, if you and James talked about this, uh, but were, were they commenting on the amount of views it had and the, the amount of like the viral sensation or did they specifically say, Oh, well this guy knows what he's doing because look at this short and look at these things that he, you know, these are kind of advanced things that you were doing versus somebody who just started doing, you know, yeah, I don't think they they cared that much about the views, just sort of the effectiveness of the film, really. Uh And then uh, I know James was at first a little hesitant because he was like, yeah, it's a cool short, but can this guy tell like a 90 minute story, which is, you know, the, the treatment I wrote was what, persuade him. It's like, that's what made him go, okay, this guy knows a longer storytelling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. It's, Did you, when you were, after the treatment, it, what was, is the, the actual screenplay pretty, pretty much what you had in that treatment or was it changed? It's, uh, he, Eric Heiser, who wrote the screenplay, uh, kept very close to that treatment. In fact, there's even, like, in that treatment were bits of dialogue and stuff that actually made it through to the film as well. Uh, like, there was one scene in there where uh, we needed, like, a little scene between Teresa and her boyfriend. And sort of like a placeholder, I wrote this scene where they have a like an argument about a sock or whatever and that actually made it through the film. Like I, I was convinced that that would be the first thing that he would throw out, but he, he kept it in. So yeah, it, it's pretty close. Was there ever a moment when you, you were considering or you thought about actually writing the screenplay for it or did they want to just go with somebody that was a little more seasoned? Like I thought that I didn't want to push my luck. You know, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm just like a, a first time director, so they probably don't want a first time writer as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's the same thing with, with Lotta, you know, like she's been the star of every short, but like 
we didn't want to push her to be the the lead in the film because I mean we we just didn't want to push our luck because it felt like oh we have this chance now like if we push too hard then they might go oh well then we're not doing the film so it's like yeah a lot of that like yeah sure I'll just work with the writer but it turned out great because I, I I loved uh, Eric's work as well he. You know, while I was doing the water bottle tour and while the agents were sending me scripts, the one script that I wanted, really wanted to make was one that he had written called Bird Box. And mm-hmm. uh, was that the blacklist I, one you said? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that was another writer. But yeah, that Bird Box was on blacklist as well. OK. OK. Sorry. So um, now Lotta and I even made a little like a trailer for Bird Box to sort of. <laughs> to, to pitch that to the uh-huh. production company, but uh, I, I'm not really sure what's happening with that now. I think uh, Andy Machetti or Mischetti or whatever who made Mama is is up for uh-huh. that, right? But he's doing it now, so I'm, I don't know what's happening with that. But that that was a really good script, so I was very happy that he he wanted to to write Lights Out. Yeah, well, that's another example. The guy that made um, Mama is another guy that like had a short yeah. and would kind of did the same trajectory that you did. Yeah. And, and got Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro as a producer. So, yeah. yeah. It's not too shabby. No. <laughs> <laughs> How is, uh, Lotta dealt with, uh, LA? Is she feeling comfortable there? Is, uh, that, what does she yeah. think? Yeah, no, uh, she's loving it as well. I mean, it's a, does she ever get recognized? <laughs> She does. I mean, even I've started to get recognized. We were at the Grove here in LA the other day, and these three guys came up and said, hey, are you, are you the director of Lights Out? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> hey. Um, no, so so that's weird, but yeah. She's, do you like uh, that? I mean, do you like being recognized? So far, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as a director, I don't think you ever get to that point where it's annoying, uh-huh. you know, where, I mean, I wouldn't want to be you know, Brad Pitt or someone who can't probably can't go outside a lot. Um, but yeah, so far it's, it's great. Yeah. I, I can imagine like you just, you know, going to the, well in LA it's totally different though. Cause you'll go to the grocery store and you'll see like five or six stars shopping there and it's like nothing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Like, yeah, just down the street here, I walked by Christopher Nolan the other day. It's like, Oh, that's oh cool. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, hi, I'm a fellow director. Yeah. <laughs> we were in the same union. <laughs> yeah, I used to go to a grocery store that was like down the road from like near kind of near Melrose. I used to live. And yeah. there was a grocery store there that I would always go and I would pay more because I would always see a star there. But I would just kind of sit there and like watch him and be like, wow, that's yeah, it's like the same, real person. same thing here. We'd see a lot of celebrities down in the grocery store. <laughs> you, you just play cool. You just, <laughs> yeah well you know now you can do that on your movie set you can be like hey that's not, he's gonna <laughs> yeah. talk to me what oh oh he's coming over here <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh you're the director why are you hiding <laughs> yeah oh hi how you doing um no, it's the same thing i have a friend who's like hey can't you get me the, that guy's autograph or whatever it's like no i have to play cool like i <laughs> know what i'm doing when i'm meeting all these people well, is there like a – do you kind of have a, a, a dual life now? I mean, is it like you go you go back to Sweden and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's just David and, you know, how's it going and everything. Then you come back and it's kind of like you get to be on a set and have all these like famous people and everything. 
I mean, so far I've I only been back for two weeks at Christmas, so like I don't know. I'm I'm just here all the time now. <laughs> this is my life now, but it, it's awesome because <laughs> like I want to see how far I can take this Hollywood thing because I can always go back to making no budget shorts if this doesn't work out. Well, you can always talk to the people that didn't give you your fund. Yeah, and be like, hey guys, remember me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've made two Hollywood movies now. Can I get some money? And they're like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't done any <laughs> Swedish movies. So. Yeah. That's the real, you know, the sign. Are there any Swedish horror movies that people like uh, did? I mean, I know you probably, I've seen, seen your, your other conversations and I know you, you like, um, uh, mostly kind of American based horror films and stuff. Are there any horror films from Sweden that people should check out? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, I mean the, the one of the more famous ones is "Let the Right One In." Uh, the oh yeah, movie. yeah, that's brilliant. Um, they they do some of that stuff. Usually, it's based on books. I guess that makes them more comfortable in doing genre stuff like that. And you know, "Girl with the Dragon Tattoo" just isn't really horror, but that's more of a genre film. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is there? There's not a lot of horror made in Sweden. I don't think. Mostly sort of movies about alcoholism and the difficult life <laughs> of immigrants and you know divorce. Uh, well, what what would you what what are your like favorite like what if you had to go back and like pick say like five films that are the ones that influenced you the most? What would those be? Well, just from my childhood, it's sort of action, horror, sci-fi. You know, Aliens, Terminator, The Thing, uh, Die Hard. You know. The stuff I grew up on, which I still love. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I just last week, I think it was, they were showing aliens on the big screen here at Arclight. And that's always been my dream to see that in a theater. So I had to go and it's like, yeah, man, this movie still holds up. I love that movie. Yeah. So good. Yeah. But did you say alien or aliens? Aliens. I mean, aliens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of the best. Wow. Both amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Aliens was the first movie that I ever saw. I'm a little older than you, but I mean, I saw that. I was, I got into the theater with my family to watch it. And I realized about a couple minutes in that I was way too young to be yeah. in that movie. Cause I was, I mean, I didn't sleep for a week. And to this day, it's still the most horrifying movie just in terms of, you know, scaring the hell out of me. But yeah. I, I mean, I think it came out at what, like 96 or something? I mean, 86? 86, yeah. Yeah. And I would have been like, 12 or something like that. But I remember going to see that and oh my God, it was so scary. And I, I mean, that's probably one of my favorite screenplays too, you know? Yeah. I mean, James Cameron just like has this way of, of creating care. Anyway, I don't want to get off into that. Yeah, no, but I'm a, I'm a Cameron (laughs) fanboy as well. (laughs) Okay. So let me just ask you this and I'll kind of wrap it up. Um, with Annabelle too, are you, um, do you go back and look at the, original movie are you what what do you do in a creative sense and i know you're you're not writing the screenplay for it i assume yeah but i I assume you have a lot to do with what's going to be in the screenplay yeah uh we're working together with the writer and and all that um you know without giving too much away the story of annabelle 2 isn't uh, a continuation of annabelle 1 really which was enticing to me that it's 
its own thing more, you know. Mm-hmm. But of course, I had to go back and, and rewatch Annabelle one and sort of get into that and see what they did and and Conjuring one and two as well because Annabelle is in well especially in Conjuring one, which is where she first appeared. Um, but yeah, so is, um, is but, James wrapped on the Conjuring two? That's that's like a done deal now, right? Oh yeah, uh, they even had like a surprise screening in Austin the other day and. Yeah. So um, that opens on first sort of uh, they have their premiere at the LA Film Festival on the June 7th. And then on June 8th, we show Lights Out. So that after June 8th, people are going to know there's going to be reviews and stuff, I guess. <laughs> so what what is your biggest like, how do you feel? What's your biggest fear right now? Are you kind of like just waiting for that? I am. Uh, well, I mean, the weird thing is that everyone is so confident that it's going to be hit that I think they're going to jinx it, you know, because, <laughs> because it's been it, it's, it's tested really well. And like everyone's like, no, this is going to be a hit. It's like you don't know <laughs> anything can happen, you know. So, you know, I, I, I hope people like it, but, you know. Well, I think one of the really interesting things about it and, and you know, not – a lot of other films can say this, but it's already had, you know, because of the short, it's already got people who are kind of aware. You yeah. know what I mean? That That's a huge, I mean, in terms of marketing of a film, that's got to be like a huge, you know, huge deal for yeah. them. I, I don't know how much they think about that when they're doing it, you know, when they're like planning stuff out, but it's like, okay, well, this has had a bazillion downloads. So everybody yeah. already knows the short, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, we've had to push that a little bit because, like, you know, I, I don't get to cut the trailer. That's all marketing. But so they 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 had this trailer that they wanted to show uh, that was similar to this trailer, but it didn't start with Lotta and the light switch. Uh, and we, we told the marketing department, like, you have to put that in the trailer and put it at the top because there's going to be people out there that may have seen the short but they don't might not remember the name or whatever. But if you have that scene with her doing the same thing as in the short, they're going to go, Oh, I've seen this before. Like I, I remember that. So we really had to sort of push them to put that in the trailer. Um, but yeah, otherwise I don't know. I think the Warner's digital marketing department are, are more on top of it, you know, uh, with mm-hmm. all the views and all of that. Cause they wanted, they wanted to get all the stats, from my YouTube and Vimeo pages. And I'm not sure what they're doing with that, but probably something cool. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's not been a, it's not been at the forefront. It's been more, the marketing seems to be more pushing that it's produced by James Wan because people know conjuring and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just lost my train of thought. I had a question for you. Um, all right, it's gone. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I had something really important to ask. Uh, give me one Marketing second. short millions. Well, do you – do you? how much are they kind of like – I mean are you getting we, – we talk a lot about marketing and distribution here and I don't know how much you've kind of been you know, a part of that. I mean is there any insights you've had in terms of the way they're promoting it and the way that you, – you know, things that you've seen on your side? I mean – that, that's the frustrating thing, how little you are a part of that. Because huh. the weird thing is, like this movie costs like $5 million, but to market a movie, you need way more than that. 
So right. like the marketing budget is many times the actual movie budget for a project like this. And they, I don't know. I mean, you just have to hope that they know what they're doing because you're, you know, they cut the trailers, they make the posters and they do all of that thing, all of those things. I mean, they, they, they'll show it to you and you can sort of say what you want, but ultimately it's, they do their thing. You know, they know the marketing. Like mm-hmm. that, that's one thing I've been, sort of trying to say that this movie is more fun like the trailer is very traditional horror movie but it actually is a bit more fun more of a right. fun movie which i i told marketing like isn't there a way to get that in there for the next trailer right. and it's more like just no like this is how you market a horror movie it's like all right i guess well, is there the feeling that they've like just done it so many times? They're like, yeah, we we know what we're doing. Just you know, quiet down. We'll put it all together. And this is we've done this a million times. We've made a bazillion dollars, and this I is guess. how it is. And I mean, yeah, they have made a gazillion dollars. Yeah, so I, I I guess they know what they're doing. You know, but and and that's the same thing. Like if I if I were to cut a trailer, you probably wouldn't see a lot because I was like, no, we can't give that away. Can't give that away. So it's like, I guess you got to have someone who's more sort of. Now we know how this works. Like, and yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my favorite is always like, if you look back at the alien, the original alien ads and yeah. it just had an egg hatching, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, I, that's, I'm a big fan of that, you know, have, and, and that's one of the big, the things I like about your shorts as well is that it just has, you know, I'm, I'm working on a short right now and I keep, making it bigger and bigger and bigger and I keep adding people and I'm like, no, 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 no. I got to I got to get it down to just the basic idea, yeah, you know? And yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that your short also really inspires people to, to think about. It's like, look, you know, we were just at sitting around the apartment one day and, and we were like, okay, let's come up with some ideas that are scary and let's just shoot it. You know? Yeah. I don't know if it was like that, but well, I'm, I'm characterizing it. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I think a lot of people, they have like feature ideas that they only have resources for a short. So they try to compress feature ideas into a very short amount of time. And I think, I mean, at least the way we look and I make them, it's just a scene or two, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not really trying to tell such a big story. We're just going in for yeah a couple of scenes and making the best we can out of that. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Do you consciously think, I mean, when you were making lights out the, the, um, short was, was it just like, okay, we want, we know people are sitting, how, how much are you thinking about your audience? Are you like, okay, we let's make this. I know people don't have any sort of attention span. There's a bunch of little horror shorts out there. Um, are you thinking about that? I mean, are you just like, okay, let's, let's come up with something that people can click on real quick and just watch something fast. Yeah, it's just get straight to the point. Just have her flip that light switch as early as you can. She's just walking from the bathroom and right there to just get straight into it. Because one, once they see that, they get sort of like, oh, that's cool. And then they're hooked. You know, they want to see where it takes off from there. There's, mm-hmm. there's just a lot you can cut out of both shorts and features and still, you know, that, that you don't need. I mean, you still have to have a good pace and a good rhythm to it but I, I think movies today are too long so lights out it's actually like 
I think it was like 80 minutes or something. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, and one of the producers was kind of freaking out about that. He was like, it has to be longer. Like, why? <laughs> and, you know, people have seen it. No one has said that it's too short or to, that the pacing is weird or something. They, it just feels right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I wish more people, more films were like 90 minutes instead of the two and a half hours things we get nowadays. Nowadays. It makes you wonder how many movies are like, you know, you see all these movies that come out, all these blockbusters and everything, and it's like, eh, it was just like maybe 10 minutes a little too long. And you wonder if that was like some executive in there going, yeah, we need to, we need to add a little bit more. And it was just like, why? You know? But it's like it the movie, weird the movie could have ended. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird because, I mean, if they have shorter movies, they can have more showings in a day and they'll make more money. But uh, maybe it's something – Everything has to be epic these days, I guess. No. What are you sick of seeing in horror movies? What turns you off to, to you know, if you're watching something and you're just like, okay, within like, say, the first 15 minutes, what does a horror movie has to do in the first 15, 10, 15 minutes to kind of like pull you in? Uh, well, I mean, as, as long as they don't have really stupid characters that you just, like you don't want a, a horror movie where you want the people to die. You know, I mean, that can be fun in certain <laughs> movies, but stuff like that. And just, yeah. And the fake kind of jump scares was just loud sounds with stuff that has nothing to do with the horrors of the film. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. Do you watch, like do you click around like Netflix and stuff like that and try to find new stuff. It just seems like there's – I mean one of the things that we, we talk about, you know, and I, I've talked to a lot of indie filmmakers who are, you know, making all different levels of, you know, they make stuff that, you know, very low budget from a couple thousand dollars to 50000 to a hundred or, you know, yeah. in that range. And, you know, I, I just kind of try to figure out like what – What's the whole process? You know, where are they where are they selling it? What's 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 that world like? You know, and um, yeah, I mean, for the last year or so, I mean, since we came to LA, we haven't had a television, so we've been able to, <laughs> to watch a lot of stuff just on our laptops. Um, but the good thing about living in LA is that you can see a lot of limited release, smaller movies. So, right. like, I, I some of my favorites recently were uh, Green Room which I loved and the invitation, which was really good as well. Um, no, but I need to see the green room. That I yeah. See. yeah. I love that one. Um, no, but that, 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 and that's actually like, I, I go, since we don't have a TV, we go more to the theaters these days mm -hmm. uh, because we live right by an arc light. So it's, it's, it's great. Um, but a lot of movies, it's just, feels like the same, you know, like it's all the same sort of superhero stories and stuff like that. So it's, it's almost at, at points you get like, oh, I'm kind of tired of movies. But then you see a movie like Green Room. It's like, no, I, I love movies, you know? Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, and Netflix is, I try to find stuff there, but usually you just, Netflix is just for scrolling through, looking at movies and then never watching anything. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it's just interesting the, the, the way things are changing now, you know, and I, I try as much as possible to see stuff in the theater, but, yeah. um, you know, and especially down here, we just don't get a lot, but, uh, it's just kind of 
watching the evolution, you know, when I was younger, you would go see a movie because the quality was much better. That that was the only opportunity you had, you know, and then it would go to, um, you know, home video was even kind of like a new thing, you know, and things have changed so quickly. So everybody's watching, you know, the majority of people are going to see your film on a TV, which kind of sucks, you know, because it's made for being in a theater. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, then there's this giant kind of glut of, now that the technology is so cheap, there's just horror movies like crazy coming out. You know, I mean, if you go on like Amazon Prime and uh, yeah. Netflix and all these different places, it's like – and the qualities, a lot of them is just not very good. So I don't, I don't really have yeah. a point. It's just bitching about it, I guess. No, but, but, but I mean the, that's the sad truth is that 90 percent of horror movies are pretty terrible, and which is kind of sad because nowadays – like now that I'm I'm – I mean, this last year and now I've been working so much that it's almost like I don't really want to take chances. You know, I want to see something that I know is good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and especially now that I'm <laughs> making movies, I'm actually trying to watch a lot of classics because I, I want to see something that I know is good and something that's sort of valuable. So I've been watching old stuff like Fritz Lang's M and mm-hmm. Yo Yimbo and just you know trying to yeah i mean cool stuff yeah kurosawa i don't know if you're like me but i find it's so inspiring to kind of see those stories and be like oh you know do do you get inspired like when you watch other people's movies do you start having your own ideas about things yeah absolutely yeah i mean is Uh, that how let me just ask you this kind of blank question in terms of creativity like what do you have any have you learned to kind of like control your creativity and learn how to use it and put it together and stuff? And do you, do you do things that you know are going to kind of jolt that creativity? Don't that know. I just, yeah, <laughs> I don't have a specific process. It just sort of comes mm-hmm. up, I guess. I, I, I love sort of idea based things, especially sort of time travel movies and sort of that has a neat ID at the core of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not really sure what the ideas come from. Do you write things down? I mean, do you like, if you're, you know, you said you yeah. wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, is that what, do you get ideas sometimes that way or? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. no, just a little while ago I had this, uh, like I, I dreamed this whole scene and I woke up and I wrote it down on my phone and then, um, the, the, uh, the morning after I, I sent that to the screenwriter for Annabelle too. I was like, Hey, can we put this in the movie? And it was like, cause I wrote like, I had this dream of this banana monkey I, face, put it in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what the hell are you talking about, man? Yeah. And, and I wrote out this whole scene and sent it to him. And he was like, uh, why don't I have dreams like this? <laughs> Just get a whole scene, put it in the movie. No. So that's, that's in actually movie? in the script. It's in the script. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's awesome. Well, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, there was a book out not too long ago that talked about how your the, – the state of mind that you're in just as you wake up is so far into your right brain that that is – you will never find a more purely creative moment than when you're in that kind of dream state because you're, yeah. you're in the same state of mind when you dream. So your mind is just creating stuff. So that's why a lot of people always have like a, you know, a pad and paper beside the bed. Or people write when they first wake up, you know. That kind of explains a lot because I, yeah, I do have that <laughs> a lot of of being sort of half awake, half asleep. 
usually it's sort of nightmarish stuff. And I freak mm-hmm. out and like my wife will have to go, no, 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 you're dreaming. Like get back to sleep. Uh, <laughs> so maybe that's where a lot of it is, is born. Yeah. Well, David, I really appreciate this, man. Is there is there anything else that we could touch on? Is there any advice that you have for all the indie filmmakers that are out there kind of like hoping to emulate you a little bit or kind of following your path a bit? I mean, the, the main advice would just be to keep making stuff and putting it up online and not giving up, even though you think it's going to be shit because you never know. And uh, yeah, and, and you never know what it is that going to resonate with people like you know i was talking to this um producer who made this big kickstarter project like this uh, big like series of videos that they had quite a budget for we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show and nothing really happened with it and then with his friends he just did like a quick youtube thing that cost no money and that's what got them representation in Hollywood and got into a bunch of meetings and stuff. So you just keep making stuff and you, you never know what's going to, what's going to be the thing that actually gets you out there. Yeah. That, that's one of the, you know, after doing this for like a year and a half, um, you know, and I, I had a project that fell apart a couple of years ago and I just, you know, it, it's really inspiring the stuff that you did and with your short and everything, but it's just like that, that seems to be the the common thread with people who are having success in the indie film world now is just, okay, start making shorts, just, just get out there, start shooting. It doesn't matter, you know, shoot with your DSLR or whatever. It's like the equipment doesn't matter anymore. And just mm. slowly, not all of us are going to get like picked up for a major film, but it's like just slowly one short, a little, you know, and, and learn. I mean, did, were you, you know, each short that you did, were you learning a little bit more and kind of saying, okay, I put this together now. Let, yeah, me, let me try it a little bit more. Right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm 35 now and I've been making movies since I was eight, you know, so it's right. You, you get better and better and you learn more and more the whole time. So, yeah. Well, cool. Is there, um, do you want to, usually I ask people if they want to leave their like websites and information. I don't know if there's anything that you, want to leave or, or like your Twitter handle maybe uh, so people sure. can kind of follow you. Yeah. I'm at pony smasher on, uh, <laughs> on, uh, Twitter and on Instagram and on YouTube. I'm pony smasher as well. Should I yeah. ask what that meant? Well, it all started with YouTube. I mean, when YouTube was this new thing, I, like I signed up for that, but it, it wasn't a thing yet. So it's like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to use this. I'll just, okay. I'm <laughs> pony smasher. And then it became things. So it's like, okay, I guess I'm Pony Smasher now. You know, so yeah, <laughs> it's kind of weird now that they're like the marketing people are like, uh, like when there's yeah. articles and stuff on Twitter about like, uh, you know, you have at Teresa Palmer or whatever, and then at Pony Smasher. And it's like, oh, <laughs> but James. Well, I mean, it could have been worse, you know, it could have been like Gorilla Penis or something. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I want to thank Jason so much for doing such an amazing job with this episode. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmMuscle.com forward slash 704. If you haven't already, please head over to FilmmakingPodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a good review for the show. It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. 
Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.